this again, as I was mentioning earlier, is a really astounding story. The U.S. Justice Department is threatening possible legal action against city officials in Jackson, Mississippi, if they don't agree to negotiations to fix the city's beleaguered water system, warning that an imminent and substantial endangerment to human health exists. Can you imagine that? Now, Jackson is a city of 150,000 people. It's the state capital, no less. Recently, they experienced a week without reliable water service and an advisory to boil any water that does flow from faucets has been in place since late July. Now, this isn't new. There were warnings back in 2019 that this was all going to be a massive problem. And while places like Jackson and Flint, Michigan, horror stories about neglect and the outcomes get a lot of attention, um, this is actually a story repeating itself across many places in America at a smaller scale. Joining me now is Manu Lal. He's a hydroclimatologist. He's the director of the Columbia Water Center at Columbia University in New York. He's author and co-author of a number of studies that document the rise of contaminated drinking water in the United States. And he joins me now. Thanks for your time. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm well. Uh, this incident in Jackson, Mississippi has raised, uh, has gotten a lot of attention. Even here in Canada, people have been paying attention to it. I think because it sort of, it symbolizes something we all really worry about, which is aging infrastructure eventually giving out and uh, we lose our most precious resource, which is drinking water, right? Yeah. So in the U.S., this is a burgeoning crisis. Uh, and I don't know much about you know, what the situation is in Canada. But in the U.S., this is precipitated by the fact that since about 1982, when President Reagan was in office, there really has not been the kind of federal investment uh, in upgrading and maintaining the water infrastructure as there should have been. And one graphic that the Office of Management and Budget uh, put up in 2017 is telling um, the the spending per person on water infrastructure by the federal government on an annual basis is like $17, whereas uh, for information technology, it's $251 per person. So that's an interesting way of looking at it. It is. I mean, I mean, the way you look at it, it must be, I, I don't want to use the word criminal, but but to neglect one's water supply because we've all been in countries where they don't have water, right? Where you don't have, you can't rely on your drinking water. Um, and to think that America is on the way, you know, that America is in trouble when it comes to its drinking water supply. How bad is it? So that's a tough question because the what we can say is that if you look at drinking water violations that are reported to the EPA, they have been going up. Even for simple things like pathogens that have been monitored forever and been part of the standards. So, so that's the first challenge. But the more interesting thing is what we see in perception. So in terms of perception, uh, bottled water sales three years ago eclipsed all other beverages in the country combined, I think. And uh, if you look at Amazon sales, uh, for reverse osmosis systems that you install in the kitchen, which is what you know people in India do because they have no other choice, um, the systems that were around four or five hundred dollars a unit five years ago are now one hundred twenty. That doesn't happen just because Amazon wants to dump these things. It's because now the the demand has reached a scale where the cost of producing those things has come down, and there are many more entrants in the market than there were before. 
So we are in a transition in that sense. And when we look at the demographics of the violations, they are typically uh, small to medium-sized cities, uh, predominantly minority communities, predominantly uh, communities where there's greater inequality in income and also, of course, lower incomes. So that's what we are looking at is a, you know, it's just another endpoint of the polarization of the country in a way. Where drinking water becomes a, a privilege for uh, not not a right. Yeah. Um, there is a new infrastructure bill that's been passed. Will that help? So we had a meeting a week ago where we invited the heads of all the federal agencies, uh, at least the non-political appointee ones, and they were here. And it was very nice to hear what they had to say. And they were very upbeat on getting the message across that President Biden has multiple pockets of bills that he has authorized um, under which there is substantial funds for the for the first time in a long time that are flowing towards water. And uh, everyone was really happy to hear that who was in the audience. And then one audience member asked, so how is this is going to be sustained? Is this a one-shot funding deal? And their answer to that question was not very quick in coming. And of course, when it came, it was, yes, of, of course, we recognize that water is an important issue. But, um, and it's a bipartisan issue. You know, that's that was being made, made very clear that this this is something everybody agrees upon. However, if I look at the history of funding since 1982 to now, uh, the bipartisan aspect of it is not inspiring. So in the past 40 years, because it's exactly 40 years now, um, What's happened? I mean, it, 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 clearly, at one point in America, there was a system that was the envy of the world, right? In the 50s and 60s, um, you know, a, a distribution system that was the envy of the world. And right. now it feels like it's been left, it's been neglected, right? And and so so how did that, how does that happen? Is it just, it's just yeah. money? It's, I think it's a couple of things. Um, and I'll give the analogy to what has happened in India as well, uh, mm-hmm. you know, as part of this. So, as you said, we were the state of the art for water supply in the, in the world here. And what has happened is that the dams started reach, reaching an age which is beyond what they were designed for. The pipes of different kinds started, in, started reaching an age beyond what they were designed for. Uh, same with treatment plants. And uh, people were taking all this wonderfully functioning infrastructure for granted. This is not where money needs to go. You know, so the parallel with India is that once you do not have adequate investment and you do not have adequate revenue into the system from the rates that allows uh, the system to be upgraded and maintained, it deteriorates. Once it deteriorates, the service suffers. And then the ratepayer's attitude is, this is crappy service. Why do I want to pay for this? So it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in a sense. And it uh, spirals out of control. And I've seen that happen in India. And it's on on its way to happening here, uh, unfortunately. The, the one difference is that there is money here and there is the private sector uh, that sees the opportunity here. And uh, many people are opposed to the privatization of water. And, uh, you know, if you had asked me that question 20 years ago, I would have said, 
well, we teach that because of the cost of entry, water becomes a natural monopoly. So we don't really want the private sector to create a monopoly here. But I think where we have reached is um, the private capital has to come in. And the question is, you know, how is that done equitably? How is that done such that the needs of the customers are foremost? And uh, there are some examples that are good and there are some examples that are terrible at the moment. Yeah, I, I lived in in England for a while, where there's been a huge deregulation of a lot of utilities, and it and it's tough. It's expensive. I'm speaking with Umano Lal. He's a hydroclimatologist, director of the Columbia Water Center, Columbia University in New York. Well, we're talking about uh, something you may have heard about recently, which is uh, water problems and issues in Jackson, Mississippi. But uh, Professor Lal is letting us know about how widespread an issue it is in America that a lot of the infrastructure that was state of the art, uh, you know, 70 years ago, of course, is no longer so. It needs replenishing, it needs refurbishing, and uh, there hasn't been a lot of commitment to that of late. So when we come back, we'll find out what a new water system should look like, because one would think that uh, technology has changed a lot in the last 70 years, uh, let alone the last 40 years, and that could be applied to water in a way that would both make sense and make money. That's next. Our guest is Upmanu Lal. He's a hydroclimatologist and director of the Columbia Water Center at Columbia University in New York. We've been talking about uh, the deterioration of water infrastructure in America, which is which is remarkable because of what a, just how important uh, how important a resource it is. I mean, there is no more important resource if you don't have drinking water in your town or access to water. Everything else seems kind of meaningless. And, let, and yet, as you pointed out in articles, Professor Lal, the investment in just about everything else outpaces water. You know, I don't want to sit here and complain about what has happened. It's not useful. Right. It's uh, enough. To, it's it's uh, is necessary to draw attention to the situation, but I think one of the things that society has failed at is raising an aspiration for what we would consider in the twenty first century to be an acceptable system and at what price? Because if we play the game of a public sector monopoly or a private sector monopoly, and they're just providing in a very boring way a resource to us, we don't think about it. But if we have a certain aspiration, then the question is, who can satisfy that aspiration? So the way I would state that aspiration is that I don't want to pay much more for water. I understand I'll pay more if I demand more things from it. But when I turn on the tap, I would like to see what the quality of the water is. So I would like some verification, a quantitative verification of making sure that things I'm concerned about are not in there in some sense, right? And I was at a National Academy of Science panel on Flint, Michigan a couple, few years ago, hmm. and they were discussing uh, what needs to be done or what the nature of the problem is. And there was a woman who had come from Flint, Michigan, uh, and she had testified as to, you know, the horrors she and her family went through while they pay $150 a month for their water supply, which is tainted. And so listening to all that and to really people talking about how many lead pipes we need to remove, which is not going in an aspirational direction because it's just saying, okay, I'm going to fix your problem, but tomorrow you may have a different problem and I'm not talk going to talk about that. You know. Mm -hmm. So my reaction was, I think for $150 a month, she should expect that when she gets on the night red-eye flight to go home, gets there at four in the morning, she can dial up from her phone and expect that there will be a warm bath ready for her. And once she's had her bath and is sitting down for coffee, she gets a message on her phone 
that the waste, the waters that she took the bath in has been treated by the treatment system in her house. And it is now perfectly satisfactory for drinking and can give her a readout if she wants or whatever goes on. Well, people said, yeah, that's very fine. Thank you. You know, this is boring. Uh, you're not really solving the problem. But I would disagree. I think you have to raise what our aspirations are for performance before people start addressing them. If our aspirations are we, have, we want flowing water coming out of a pipe, they'll meet that. They're not seeing anything more exciting than that. And I think we have to aspire for more. Uh, I differ from most people where I think the future is going to be in decentralized networks of systems. We should be able to use any source of water, whether it's rain or street, flooding or wastewater that we are generating or groundwater. If we have sensors that at the point of use tell you what's there and what's not there, uh, then we could have localized treatment systems that take any source and give you what you need. And then, you know, depending on what you're using the water for, the quality doesn't need to be the same. Because one of the reasons I bring this up is that the argument that is made today is that we can't treat PFAS to the standard that somebody wants. We can't treat X to the standard somebody wants because it's going to be too expensive and people will not pay for it. So my analysis of that is the following. 70 to 80% of the cost of our water system is in conveyance. It's in pumps and pipes. It's not in treatment. What we do is we build giant treatment plants because that's what we learn to do because someone could grab samples there and see what goes on. Then we ship it to people through broken pipes and then they get contaminated water. What's the fun in that, right? So if we could come up with a way by which we cut the cost on the pipes and pumps because they are much more localized, then we can pay more for treatment. And if we are verifying that, then life is altogether better. So that's kind of the idea here is localization of these services, but with remote verification and control using digital technologies, because we can do that today, that replaces having an army of chemists who will grab some samples and see what goes on in a large treatment plant. And uh, the reuse strategy creates resilience as part of this. The fact that it is localized, when it fails, people say, hey, that's my treatment plant that has failed, not the guy who's 10 blocks over. So they're they are actually mobilized to go and do something about it. Whereas if it's a city treatment plant, yeah, the city sucks. You know, that's kind of the reaction. So I think we need a change in the technology. It's not just a question of refurbishing existing systems, but the change in the technology should follow stated aspirations and what our willingness to pay for those aspirations is. It sounds like the solution is not to think of a, of just repeating what we've done for the last hundred years, exactly. but to actually think of something new because it's being done out there as well. Uh, Professor Lal, thank you so much for your time tonight. Okay, thanks very much.